0: Welcome to Fostering Hope, a program that opens a door into the world of foster care and adoption, sponsored by Foster Adopt Connect. You'll hear stories from all facets of foster care, from kids who have experienced the system firsthand, from parents who are taking on the challenges and rewards of creating forever families for foster children, and from child welfare workers and policymakers who work within the system while also working to make it better. Besides hearing important stories, you'll learn how you can help society's most vulnerable children in big ways or small. Please welcome our host, the Youth Program Supervisor at Foster Adopt Connect, Nathan Ross.
1: Welcome to Fostering Hope. I am your host, Nathan Ross, here with my co-host, Jennifer Townsend. Hi, Hi. Jen. How are you?
2: A little bit tired from the weekend, but good.
1: Yeah, (laughs) great. We have the pleasure of having Pam with us today today. Um, and I'm going to actually let her just introduce herself and talk about what she does. So will you Sure. take it away for us?
3: Good morning. I'm Pam Hamilton. I work for Cornerstones of Care. I'm a clinical social worker um, providing human trafficking training around the state of Missouri and portions of Kansas. I also sit on the uh, newly appointed Attorney General's Human Trafficking Task Force for the state of Missouri, which I think there's great things coming down the line through that initiative.
1: Okay, and so I, I do want to get into what trafficking means, but kind of what led you to this line of work.
3: Um, I have my own personal history of trauma, okay, and for many years have been studying trauma. And then there was an intersection in our family's life um, not too long ago that led me to an increased interest in trafficking. So before I moved here, which is almost three years ago, okay. moved from Indiana. I had begun to be involved with uh exploring, researching and also trying to do something about human trafficking. So it was a natural fit when I came here and the state of Missouri requested uh training for all of their social services. Okay. So I created that training and off we went on a wild uh wild few years here. Okay. But it's uh, been a great
2: experience to impact this horrible industry.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah, I think Nathan and I have both had the pleasure of sitting in one of your trainings yes. and it really brought to light a lot of things I didn't know before. I thought I knew a lot about human trafficking um, because you kind of see it in the media a lot, but your training really um, brought to my attention all that I didn't know. And that's why we really wanted to have you on our program. Great, thanks. Um So can you unpack what is human trafficking?
3: Basically, human trafficking, which has been around for since the beginning of time, mm-hmm. but we've just identified, you know, it as human trafficking rather than slavery. But mm-hmm. is there is an act done by a perpetrator who wants their victim to do something involuntarily. So they're by the means of force, fraud or coercion, forcing the person to either labor or perform sex acts um in such a way that um, is horrible. Uh, Generally, they're isolated, not necessarily always trafficked around the world or around the country. Trafficking can happen right in one locale. But it's as simple as someone forcing someone to do something they don't want. So when it's a human trafficking case, force fraud or coercion need to be proven for that to be a case, unless it's a minor. Mm -hmm. So if the person is under 18 irregardless of the age of consent. uh, That does not need to be proven in a court of law. But generally, they recruit them. So oftentimes, the trafficker is somebody that's connected to that person's life. We hear a lot in the media about the kidnapping. Mm -hmm. That's really kind of rare, actually. It's a fewer percentage. More often than not, that trafficking organization has a recruiter, and their job is to connect with some vulnerability and that vulnerability can be as simple as I'm a teenager and I take risks. Mm-hmm. So whatever that vulnerability may be, uh, they'll connect with that and um, manipulate that person into a relationship generally where there's mm-hmm. some trust established,
2: and then before you know it, they're off and being trafficked either for sex or labor. Mm-hmm. So I think that the um, sex trafficking gets Probably a lot more attention than the labor trafficking. I would is that? That's true. That's mm-hmm. true. Okay. Can you talk a little bit about the labor trafficking and what that looks like since we don't see examples of that mm-hmm. in the sure. media as
3: much? Sure. And we have to realize that there is more labor trafficking around the world and in our country than sex trafficking. Okay. If you think of all the industries, mm-hmm. factories, you know, mm-hmm. labor, agriculture, uh, peddling, where somebody could be forced to work and isolated. Um, we understand why there's more labor trafficking than mm-hmm. sex trafficking uh statistically very hard to prove because uh the research is fairly recent. Two thousand was our first federal law, so we haven't had data and statistics compiled through the years. We're getting there There's a lot more research happening now, but the uh, labor trafficking is significant both for adults and for adolescents and children. Uh, sex trafficking uh is You know, what can we say? It's sexy, right? It gets media attention. Mm -hmm. It's horrible. We can't imagine being violated in that way. Right. Um, But still, most recent research that I've read is about 55% labor trafficking, 45% sex trafficking. Okay. We flip those numbers. More females are trafficked for sex, although there is an increase in demand for males. Oh, wow. So uh, typically, people think of just females being trafficked for sex. That's not true. Mm -hmm. And because... uh, in a sense of the shame and uh, the male persona, mm-hmm. males are less likely to disclose than a female. Mm-hmm. So our statistics are a big question
1: mark
0: mm-hmm.
3: about percentages.
1: And you you mentioned laws. Can you talk a little bit about what laws are in place? Sure. How do we know that trafficking is illegal?
3: Yeah. <laughs> uh, good news is every nation in the world has trafficking laws. Okay. Uh, they don't all enforce them equally. The trafficking... Trafficking in persons report for our state department comes out yearly and ranks every country around the world about their laws and enforcement of them. Um, but the 2000 was our first federal law, the TVPA. It's been reauthorized many times because we're learning so much more about all the nuances of trafficking. Mm-hmm. Cases are tried and maybe there's a loophole and that, you know, loophole has been tightened. So every state has anti-trafficking laws, Missouri okay. and Kansas included in that. Mm-hmm. Um Kansas, my opinion, is just a little bit ahead of the game as far as enforcement of those laws very specifically. But Missouri, I think, is really, uh, with Attorney General Hawley, going to be addressing this more specifically and intentionally. So that's the really good news. So every state has laws. Every nation has laws against trafficking. Wonderful.
2: So I know you mentioned um, or you started to mention some of the uh, risks and vulnerabilities associated with um, individuals who are trafficked. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. And I think uh, maybe in the next show we'll get in,
3: into that real specifically for mm-hmm. adolescents, but in general, for um, we look at push and pull factors. So a push factor is what's in my life that's uncomfortable that I want to get away from. Mm -hmm. Mm. So if you're a teenager, okay, you have a long list, right? No matter what your circumstances. (laughs) Um, But for adults, for international trafficking, we look at poverty as one of the biggest risk factors. So I want the promise of a better life. And uh, that can be true here in our country as well. Um, If there is a hostile home life that I want to get away from, if there is uh, something very attractive to me. So, In other words, you know, I don't have a new cell phone and that Mm -hmm. person over there is promising me one if I'll do this and meet him there. Mm -hmm. Or I want hair extensions or I want this. Any, The reality is almost anything that you desire can be then turned into a vulnerability Mm -hmm. and fraudulently promised to you. And the person most likely has been in contact with you enough either through social media or through somebody that you know that they've built a level of trust. So that trust is then flipped mm-hmm. and, and you're violated. Uh, internationally, I would say poverty is one of the biggest factors for people being um, misled into a job offer in another country. And they show up and they're in an egregious situation, either being you know, isolated. Documentation is generally taken. Right. If it's an international case, mm-hmm. your documentation is taken. You probably don't speak the language.
0: That's
3: um, you're told by your trafficker that you're violating the country's laws. Law enforcement will come after you. Right. So you believe you'll be incarcerated. Um,
2: and so it's uh, quite the situation and challenging to find out. I was help. just imagining it's probably pretty easy to also isolate a uh, use hear from America in kind of some of the similar ways oh, right sure. just how and it, it made me think of children that are abused you know you tell them that you've done you tell the child they've done something right. wrong sure. right. they're going to be in trouble if they tell someone mm-hmm. you know you can't count on anyone else I'm providing for you all those right. sort of things it's odd that that mirrors abuse situations yes so, it does so and, much
3: yeah and this one the trafficking situation in and of itself is abuse mm-hmm. right. so then we deal with issues of traumatic bonding possibly Mm -hmm. which makes it even more difficult for the um victim to disclose or even see themselves as a victim victim. so and that's one thing we have to look at across whether it's labor sex trafficking international or local because i may have had some decision making in the process
0: Mm -hmm. it's easy
3: for me to feel guilty and like i did this to myself
0: Mm -hmm. so
3: then you deal with this heightened sense of shame Mm -hmm. um so all and those factors contribute to uh, victims not identifying themselves as a victim or disclosing that they've been victimized.
1: do you feel that law enforcement um, perpetrates that or perpetuates that I mean in the sense that if someone does come forward and they're testifying that they're kind of made to blame or is it pretty are we pretty sensitive to people who are victims?
3: you know it really depends on the Training of law enforcement in trauma-informed care, Mm -hmm. um, victim-centered services,
0: Mm -hmm.
3: and human trafficking. So I know in the state of Missouri, the state police have received a new grant, so there will be training coming to all law enforcement in human trafficking. In the urban areas, most law enforcement has had training to uh, understand the nuances and the impact on the victim and the difficulty of that interrogation Mm -hmm. um, and identifying rural areas, not so much. But that will be coming. I can't tell you how key it is that law enforcement is responsive and understands trafficking and the impact on the victim. Because they're so crucial Mm -hmm. in the case and the victim getting services that they need. Um, I mean, social services comes alongside. Uh, A minor does not need to cooperate with the investigation to receive services. An adult does.
1: Okay. And so we have to go to commercial break, but when we come back, Pam, I would like to have you continue talking about some of the risk factors and what leads to that for young people and adults on fostering hope. Absolutely. Welcome back to Fostering Hope. I am your host, Nathan Ross, here with my co-host, Jennifer Townsend. We have the pleasure of talking with Pam Hamilton today, who is talking with us about trafficking and, and giving us some information that we weren't quite aware of. And so, Pam, I know before break you were talking about some of those risk factors, and you were talking about the population populations that uh, get involved with trafficking. And I know over break you were talking about this um, group of people that we aren't aware of. So can you talk to us? as an audience about what is that group that is highly vulnerable that no one knows about? Sure.
3: Well, one, I do want to emphasize that anybody's vulnerable. Mm. Um, With just like there is no stereotypical trafficker. We have stereotypes, Mm. but really any age, any gender, any demographic. um, So there isn't a typical trafficker and there isn't a typical victim. I mean, we do know some higher risk factors that we'll talk about, but I want to emphasize that anybody can be vulnerable. And mm-hmm. I could tell you stories, probably don't have time for that, but I'll share some yes. here down the line, but even a 35-year-old female who thinks she's in a great dating relationship. I, I know oh, of a wow. case where it ended up that she was trafficked. So, um, but the risk factors, as we think of, are some of the examples. One I want to mention with labor trafficking. So we have, you know, factories, all of those possibilities, but peddling rings are really a really in the top three realities for labor trafficking. So especially for homeless males. So kids who run away from home will be approached on this street. 30% of the kids who run away and there's over a million a year Mm -hmm. will be approached by a trafficker within 48 hours. Mm -hmm. So, and that approach may be, all right, you need a place to stay. You need food. So how about you sell this for me? Mm -hmm. And that leads to Uh, particularly adolescent males, being trafficked in peddling rings. So going door-to-door sales, Mm -hmm. magazines, candy, whatever it might be, approaching you in a parking lot to sell something, chances, I don't think I'm exaggerating to say, are fairly good that that adolescent may be being trafficked and taken from town to town to town. The police that I've interacted with in some of the trainings have said, we want you to call. So if you have that experience, we want you to call us Try to get a license plate from the mm-hmm. cargo van that is probably nearby that's mm-hmm. transporting them and make a call both to local police and to the National Human Trafficking Hotline, which we definitely should mention, 888-3737-888. And uh, Missouri has a new hotline as well. We'll mention in a little bit. So the peddling rings are, are something we don't hear about, but it's fairly common. The other, and Nathan, if we go back to your question, if we yeah. talk about risk yeah. factors in general, um, for adolescents now, if they have a history of trading sex, which is becoming more and more common, so mm-hmm. I trade sex with you for something that I want, mm-hmm. that is an easier transition for a trafficker to control that person and to control them without as much violence as typically we see in trafficking rings. If a child has been bullied... I know of a case, a 12-year-old girl, uh, Lawrence, Kansas, was being bullied. Parents agreed to homeschool her the next year. She was at home doing her homeschooling online. Mom went to nursing school and ended up on social media being contacted by uh, a pedophile, basically. Mm-hmm. She thought she was communicating with a 17-year-old. It was a 35-year-old man. There are thousands of those cases of Adolescents and adults as well on social media, and it's much more apps now than websites. Mm. So Facebook's kind of passe for the younger generation, right? Mm. <laughs> um, so, but social apps are used and prowled uh, by traffickers just to make a connection, to mm. then get a phone number, begin texting, begin building a relationship, and then the adolescent eventually meets them. And that grooming process may go over nine months, a year. Oh wow! So it, it's not like a contact and then
2: taken, or they meet. Right. So uh, I think that's so important for people to know because they think about their youth, maybe your younger sister and nieces nephews, mm-hmm. and they think, well, if someone contacted them on social media and asked them to do something like that, they would they'd say no immediately. Right. And I think they need to know that it's not a one and done right. situation right. that they are being groomed to. Yes. eventually say yes. Yeah, the recruitment strategies
3: are insidious. They're very patient. They'll do whatever they can to build some level of trust that that you will meet them. So, but uh deprivation of necessities whatever that might be is a higher creates a stronger push factor. In mm-hmm. other words, I want to get out of this situation mm-hmm. that person tr- promising me a better life it seems really alluring and so I I go. Uh we know community violence is an increased risk factor as well. And then as we even look at the higher risk, um, the adolescents who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender are uh, higher risk youth as well as runaways. And as I think about it, just from a personal standpoint, I'm married to a wonderful woman uh, was in a traditional marriage for over 40 years. But I figured life out a little later <laughs> in life and. I will tell you honestly that there's many situations, especially in rural counties where I'm doing trainings, that I won't share that. Mm-hmm. And I won't share that because of fear. Um Not of personal rejection, but actually safety. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if that's true for me, an adult who's, you know, I'm a therapist, I have a clinical degree, I understand behavior. If that's true for me, how much greater is that true for an adolescent? Uh, we do know from uh, research by Chetler and uh, Croce, That about 25% of kids who identify as lesbian or gay, bisexual or transgender will be forced to leave home. Either a direct command of Mm -hmm. the caregivers or the environment is so hostile. Mm -hmm. So the homeless population has a 40% population of LGBT kids,
0: Mm -hmm.
3: which makes the risk factor that higher. Mm -hmm. So social rejection, loss of family possibly, on the street, heightened vulnerability. So this is one of our highest risk populations, as well as kids who run away for other reasons. Mm-hmm.
1: So in those circumstances, they really don't have anyone that they can turn to. I mean, because right. they're told that their families reject them. They're out on the street. Um, are Do you find that there are circumstances? I know you talked about uh, some kids feeling like they're attached to the person that oh, is trafficking sure. them. Does mm-hmm. that increase when they've been taken away from when their family has forcibly removed them from their fa-
3: Yes, their so the life. vulnerability increases. So, you know, and especially um, children, adolescents, in foster care. Because mm-hmm. of the lack of perhaps contact with biological family, mm-hmm. that safety net has been lessened. So we know from Operation Cross Country, which is a nationwide operation from the FBI, um, I have like the privilege of being slightly involved in that. Um, we know from those statistics that 70% in some states of kids that are recovered during that operation are from foster, have had some contact oh with the child welfare system. Maybe they weren't no. in a foster home. In Connecticut, it was 86 out of 88 kids. In New York, it was 70%. So the population of adolescents who are being trafficked, um, being in foster care is a considerable vulnerability. And I'll just say for all the caseworkers be that safe person. Mm -hmm. So important are all of us who are connected to somebody in the foster system being that safe person Mm -hmm. because you might be the one person that makes a difference. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've had through the program, I work in a small experience with that. A couple of our young adults, our young females have met Mm -hmm. guys online and we had one girl that she ended up in California and he Mm -hmm. took all of her stuff and we were very fortunate that she was still connected to her foster mom and us. And so she called and we, We're able to help get her back and she, and luckily found someone that was nice enough to bring her back here and actually bring her back and not take her somewhere else. But Mm -hmm. you're very right. That's so true, even in the small program that we work in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we have to go to commercial break again. But when we come back, I want to for sure continue this conversation and help us understand um, how do we identify, how do we help, what can the community do great uh, and some of those stats so when we return on fostering hope we will hear more from pam hamilton about the different things that we can do as a community to help kids who are vulnerable and young adults Welcome back to Fostering Hope. I am your host, Nathan Ross, here with my co-host, Jennifer Townsend. We are talking with Pam Hamilton today, who is going over what the trafficking ring looks like for our population. And we've talked about some of the risk factors and the different things that lead to young adults, adult adults (laughs) getting Mm -hmm. trafficked. And so, Pam, can you talk to us about kind of the perception? I know some people listening might think, well, if you hadn't done xyz this would have happened to you um and i know during break you were kind of mentioning that that's not always the case right Um, yes
3: so and part of as i mentioned before part of the challenge with working with someone who has been trafficked is their lack of identification as a victim or Mm -hmm. lack of disclosure and some of the reason is they feel that maybe they've made some decisions along the way Mm -hmm. that led to it so therefore they have a false sense of guilt and maybe even shame Mm -hmm. so one quick example of, um, just an adult will take an adult, 35 year old, 36 year old on a dating site, being safe, you know, meeting the person for lunch, having dinner over a period of months, um, getting to know them, feeling quite safe, um, and this is a, a case. Then nine months later, they suggest let's go away together and they go away and it ends up she's being sold out of a hotel. Um, oh, this person didn't get away. But that's an example of we all have a vulnerability and there is no typical
2: trafficking victim or trafficker. Yeah, you told us that story and I thought, I'm married now, but when I was dating, that seemed like a perfectly reasonable timeline (laughs) to me. I would meet them, I would go on some dates, and if we're still together nine months in and I think that we're exclusive and they want to go away on a weekend trip... Sure. Thanks. Sounds yep. great. So, I, so imagine then for a teenager.
0: Yeah. So
3: yeah. an adolescent and an adolescent who perhaps have even higher vulnerability of lack of attachment at home, uh, that that seems even reasonable and they're now in love. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. one of the, uh, bigger recruitment strategies is we call it boyfriending or befriending. So acting, you know, playing the part that I'm in love with you mm-hmm. or I'm the older woman or man in your life that's mentoring you. Mm-hmm. And and those roles are so needed and so important and mm. so valuable. I mean, my life was greatly impacted by a mentor right. who was a mm. safe person. Mm-hmm. So really needed. But also the reality that that's also turned around. And then the people are not just abused, but then traffic. Right. So as we think of trafficking, it can be anybody. You know, it can be the kid next door, the woman next door, the man next door. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the most common brothels in the United States is a home. So there's people sold out of their home by their family members. We have to look seriously
1: at oh, that. Oh, my goodness.
3: But some of the indicators, if we want to talk about yeah. indicators now. So if someone is being especially, um, well, I shouldn't say especially trafficked for sex because labor trafficking is egregious and it's brutal. Um, but in terms of sex trafficking, you would, I mean, one, look for exhaustion. Mm -hmm. So as you think of, I often put it in this context for an adult in a context of a loving, respectful relationship that's Mm -hmm. a sexual relationship. Can you even imagine having sex 10 to 20 times a night? No. Now some Mm -hmm. people laugh and say, I could like to imagine that. No, No, but but the reality is we're not built for that. Right. So the exhaustion is extreme. So and is that
1: a? Is that are those real numbers? Those are real numbers. Those are real numbers. Ten to twenty times. The worst I know of is forty-eight
3: times every fifteen minutes. So, but more typical would be
2: ten and, to twenty times. And that night. sounds like maybe sleep is being withheld sure. so, so that you can meet those numbers. Yeah, you're
3: sleep deprived. Oh my, God. Oh my Chances are you're working through the night. Not yeah. that some things don't happen in the day; they do. Right. Mm-hmm. So then you know your biological clock is off rhythm. Sadly enough, many people who traffic people for sex are also trafficking drugs. So you may be using those drugs as a coping mechanism, or you may be forcibly addicted by the trafficker who wants and has to to control you. you. So if you're dependent on them for your next hit, you're that Mm -hmm. much more able to be controlled. But indicators. So one thing to look for, if the person isn't with the trafficker 24-7, so they're not living with them, they're not being taken to different locations, people are trafficked, kids come home. So, if an uh, adolescent shows up with a cell phone that you didn't pay for, or you know foster parents did not pay for, oftentimes traffickers will give them a cell phone to communicate. So, while
1: they're being trafficked, they're yes. still going home at night?
3: Could be.
2: Yep. Mm hmm. Yep. Wow. I immediately thought of group homes co- or other yeah. congregate care where mm-hmm. they're not there 24 7. Right. But it's also not a,
1: not a traditional family. Yes. Yeah, that's crazy.
2: Yep. And in group homes, if someone is
3: placed in a residential facility, that has been or is being trafficked, one of the rules of the stable, all right. Mm-hmm. so stable is the language of being in the life. If I'm mm-hmm. your trafficker, I'm controlling you, you're in my stable. It's not a location, it's about my control. So there's rules in every stable. A consistent rule is that you will recruit other people. So think of a child placed in a um, facility, a secure facility, right? Mm-hmm. That term. <laughs> um, if there's someone there who's being trafficked or has been, chances are they will recruit So when they're released from that, they will meet up. um, And unfortunately, there will be an attempt at getting them to meet the trafficker as well. So cell phones, if they appear with a cell phone, a tattoo. So many traffickers brand their victims. So if you're in my stable, let's say, I would have a certain brand. Mm -hmm. So I would have you tattooed with that. A barcode is um, one of the most recent trends. The barcode is tattooed. Inner side of the wrist, the base of the neck, you know, the hair covers it Um, on the side of the neck is also a common spot. Um, I have seen some tattoos inside the lip uh, traffickers name. Um, So a tattoo, Mm -hmm. they show up, you know, they didn't have the money to pay for it. Parents Mm -hmm. might not agree to it. It's a, and this is where I say this is about a conversation. Mm-hmm. If you have a tattoo yourself, you're really lucky because you can say, Oh, you know what? I got this tattoo. Mm-hmm. You know, my aunt died and I wanted to remember her. Her name was Rose. So I tattooed a rose on my arm. You tell your story.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Do they have a story that mm-hmm. flows conversationally and easily? They don't look scared when you ask them about their tattoo because you look for signs of hypervigilance. Mm-hmm. Do they seem to be Frightened? Are they easily startled? So some of those symptoms of PTSD may be evident in the person as well. So we look for exhaustion, absences from schools, tattoo. I mean, we have a long list and maybe you guys could post it on the website even of indicators yeah. mm-hmm. that uh, yes. listeners could look to. Um, using language from the life. Uh, there is a whole esoteric language. If you're mm-hmm. being trafficked, you know, daddy, you know, he's my daddy. Mm-hmm. You're a trafficker. Um, I'm in a stable, you're referring to a stable, so listening for some of those terms. Maybe the kiddo has uh, material goods that you know are not the norm for them. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden there's a change in clothing, attire, Gucci purse, whatever it might be mm-hmm. that is not their norm. All right? Where is the money coming from for mm-hmm. that? Because oftentimes, and I do know of a situation, um, this is from Kansas City, but... Um, Generally, when I do the trainings, I share that most people who are being trafficked for sex keep zero. But, uh, I know that that's not often, oftentimes true, especially in the beginning. The trafficker will sort of shower you with some gifts and material goods to keep you, um, in that cycle of violence. Mm-hmm. So I'm being violated horribly, but yet there I have this kindness of I'm getting this. Uh huh. So, um, so looking for those material goods. So exhaustion. Perhaps the kiddo, if they're home or going to school, they begin to layer their clothing, like someone who has been sexually traumatized, or their clothing changes and it's uh, provocative. Uh-huh. It can go either way because mm-hmm. now they're being sexualized in a way that's abnormal. So we look for, for both. And, um, I think you, we mentioned during uh, the break about, from the research we have, uh, specifically from Operation Cross Country, we know that 70% of the victims that have been recovered have a traumatic background, mm-hmm. of either sexual or physical trauma. So that's not just a heightened risk factor, it's the reality of you're dealing with someone who has already been traumatized early in childhood. Mm-hmm. So the impact of that trauma on the brain mm-hmm. and on the behavior is significant and leads to, again, challenges in that interaction. If the caregiver or the interviewer Mm -hmm. isn't aware of how to do that interview and interact in a way that's trauma-informed and Mm trauma-responsive. So I can't emphasize that enough.
2: You had also mentioned um, a history of sexually transmitted diseases.
3: Yes, um, and not necessarily a history of, but it will be when they're recovered, Uh having been trafficked for sex. Mm -hmm. Uh, One HIV Uh, Rate is increased about 11 times. STIs Mm. increased dramatically. Unwanted pregnancies, forced abortions. Um, Those are more the physical and medical dental care that you may typically get through the course of your year. Mm -hmm. If you're being trafficked um, and very controlled by the trafficker, you're not getting the Mm -hmm. appropriate medical and dental care. Mm -hmm. I just read some research the other day, um, fairly new research that did indicate, though, that about seventy percent of victims do see like an emergency room physician or have some contact with healthcare. So not kind of the normal routine visits, mm-hmm. but crisis visits. Mm-hmm. Very important that healthcare providers are trained in separating you from that person who brings you in, um, interviewing and looking for indicators. Mm. So there are, um, you know, it's it's a brutal
2: reality. It is just brutal. Yeah. So. Um, I was just thinking all the, all the little things that would lead to, um, chronic issues too. You had mentioned drug use. If they're mm-hmm. using drugs and not eating properly and not getting enough sleep and doing either labor or, you know, have, having to have sex several times a day and, you know, not seeing a dentist, not seeing, it's mm-hmm. just, that wears a person down. Yes, yeah. it does. And that's the
3: physical and medical, if we think mm-hmm. of mental and emotional implications, mm-hmm. and that inability to trust. Because right. chances are you trusted this person who's now violating you. Right. Um, PTSD, mm-hmm. suicidal ideation dramatically increased for most victims. Uh, drug, alcohol, addiction possibly that's been more forced. So, and just regulation of their affect and behavior. Yeah. So we're it's you think of services then needed, people who have been trafficked we have a significant need mm.
1: and so we have to go to break but when we return um, what can we do as a community to help kids who have been trafficked or youth have been trafficked when we return on fostering hope Welcome back to Fostering Hope. I am your host, Nathan Ross, here with my co-host, Jennifer Townsend. Hi, Jen. Hi. We've been talking (laughs) with Pam. I know it's depressing stuff today, uh, but there is some hope in there and some information that we're about to get from Pam. So, Pam, you've been talking with us about indicators, risk factors, what our population looks like when they're getting trafficked, that it's not just sex, but it's also labor, What can we do? What are the stats? What do the stats tell us about how people understand trafficking in our greater community? And then what can we do to help kids?
3: Yes. This is the part I like. The the proactive, (laughs) let's make a difference part. Um, recent research by Dr. Boucher out of Arizona State University, they, uh, did a research in six different major cities. The question was, is sex trafficking happening in the United States? I believe it was 74% said yes. How about in your state? It drops down to 50-some percent. And then do you think sex trafficking is happening in your community? And The answer was 20% of people wow. believe that it was. So to me, it's measuring our denial. Uh-huh. It's happening over there, you know, yeah. in that city, but it's not happening here. Right. So just as a citizen, to realize that it is happening where you are. Some of the most egregious cases that I know of have been in very rural communities. So we hear a lot about the cities and Kansas City being a hub. Every major city has, you know, major problems. There's more population, Mm -hmm. but rural areas are not exempt. Um, In fact, uh, I I think if we could populate a map of the United States with cases, we would see cases all, all over. Mm-hmm. So um but so that study, my first challenge is, are you one of those people that would say it's not happening here? Mm-hmm. And if that is the case, then it's time to raise your awareness and your education about what ha- is happening in your city, in your town. And how can you make a difference? So um in making a difference, um, you know, want me to share some apps now. I got yeah, something yeah, everybody, everybody yeah. can do. So this this is kind of the fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, the European Union endorsed a new trafficking act. It's ban trafficking. So the icon looks like a stop sign only it's reversed. It's mostly white with a red rim. So ban trafficking is a role play. It is great for kids mm-hmm. and adults as well. I've role played it in every role. There's six different roles you can choose. You have options of your response. And you see if you're trafficked or not. So it really takes you through very re- realistic oh, wow. scenarios. We uh-huh. can all learn a lot from that. They're, it's really good. And then ethical barcode, you can download. You can scan the barcode of a product that you're buying. And you can find out if there's a slavery footprint in the making of that wow. um, product. So it works a lot within the food industry. Uh, From what I understand, there will be new ones coming out that basically you can scan the barcode of a shirt you're going to buy and find out if there's a slavery footprint. If there is, you don't buy it. So we can all speak with our dollars. Mm -hmm. Because uh, 2015, a federal law, one of the statements in the statute is that the demand is the cause of trafficking. Mm. If there was no demand for cheap services, cheap consumer goods, Mm -hmm. or sex... Mm-hmm. If there was no demand, we wouldn't have a trafficking problem. Mm-hmm. So we all have to look at how are we contributing to this reality? Because yeah. most of us are going to say, I'm not buying sex from an adolescent. right? Yeah. But are you buying a really cheap shirt because you got a good deal on it? Was yeah. somebody forced to make that in a horrible state? So, right. so I think that's um, some of what we can do. In general, especially for uh, if you're raising children, Having conversations, I mean, conversations that they know they're loved unconditionally, that they're safe, that you will not be appalled by anything that they've done so that they feel, you know what, there isn't anything I couldn't tell you. I know Mm -hmm. that's the ideal, but having that safety net is crucial. Whether you're a parent, an aunt, an uncle, a niece, a neighbor, you can do a lot to raise a protective factor and be safe. So having open conversations and then conversations about trafficking. Um, there is a great 90-second uh, video called Sex Torsion on the Center for Missing and Exploited Children. I recommend that every <laughs> child watch this, and that is uh, about people being extorted through sexual images that they have taken of themselves. School curriculums. I would love to see curriculums in schools, probably mm-hmm. from fifth grade up. Age-appropriate presentation mm-hmm. of the vulnerability and how traffickers work and how they recruit. Uh, I did read not too long ago about uh, places where there has been curriculums and there's a positive peer pressure. So that when this one young lady says, hey, you know, I have a 26-year-old boyfriend, her peers are saying, hey, wait a minute. Older boyfriend that's mm-hmm. controlling, that's mm-hmm. an indicator of a potential trafficking situation. So those positive peer conversations because kids are getting educated are really important. Um, so school curriculums, organizations, I've spoken in churches at nurse workshops that, so organizations can do a lot in and of themselves to raise awareness. Many, many organizations, uh, Kansas City Street Hope is here. It's churches that have banded together to educate and raise awareness about trafficking. Mm. Um, they contribute, I believe, to restoration houses, which is a home mm. for women, um, adults who have been trafficked commercially for sex. So um, Russ Tuttle with the Stop Trafficking Project just speaks to schools. So he'll go in and do a school assembly, mm-hmm. do some assessment. Anybody that has any input to your school board, have those mm-hmm. assemblies in your schools. Um, I would love to see foster parent training as part of their training uh, to look for indicators of trafficking. We know that most trafficking victims will go back to their trafficker five to nine times oh before they make the choice to try to get away if they can. But generally, the coercion, the threats against their family or their siblings of harm, you know, if the uh, victim is being contacted by anybody they're scared to speak up because Mm -hmm. their family members people they love have been threatened with harm Mm -hmm. and they have seen the harm themselves so they know it's not an idle threat Um, but um, looking for what's right beneath the surface so that's one of the taglines with trafficking is it's right beneath the surface and until we know what to look for Mm -hmm. and are aware and will admit that it's actually happening here we don't see it Because we might be focused on really good things. Mm -hmm. It's part of the training with social workers that I do. You know, they're focused rightly on documentation and court visits and family visits and visit with the children. It's easy to miss what's happening right beneath the surface. So as all of us are more aware, we're going to make a difference. We know, uh, one city that did a great public awareness campaign, uh, of the public in general. The next year they spotted 40 more 40% more trafficking cases. Wow. Oh, wow. Not because more was happening, but the public in general knew what to look for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we all can make a difference. We all can make a difference.
1: And I know you talked at one of our breaks about truckers. Um, truckers were doing yes. something. Can you yes. give some truckers example? against
3: trafficking, okay. great organization from truckers um, who basically stood up and said, we do not want our industry to be known for lot lizards, which is okay. prostitution mm-hmm. okay. that's happening at truck stations. The reality is that's not someone choosing to prostitute themselves. That's mm-hmm. probably someone who's being trafficked at a mm-hmm. truck station. They've made, I believe, over 3000 calls to the National Human Trafficking Hotline with hundreds of those cases being identified as trafficking cases. So that's just an industry. MTV has MTV exit. It's dedicated to creating really snappy visit videos to raise awareness. Wow. So any industry can say, what's my expertise? And mm-hmm. let's do this to make mm-hmm. a difference. You don't
1: wow. have to do
2: everything, but no. everyone can do one something. Thing. Everybody yeah. can do one thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. wow. Well, we have to wrap up. I just want to thank you, Pam, for You're being welcome. on here today for and for me. sharing your expertise. You've been listening to Fostering Hope brought to you by Foster Adopt Connect. Uh, to learn how to become a foster parent or how you can help vulnerable kids in other ways, please visit us at fosteradopt.org or follow us on Facebook or Twitter at Foster Adopt Connect. Thank you, and you've be listening again to Fostering Hope.